Well, I'll invite you to turn your Bibles once again to John chapter 15. We've been teaching a series the last uh, several weeks uh, on steps to answered prayer. And we have covered uh, three of the four steps that we've identified as uh, necessary and needful for our prayers to be answered. You know, I don't believe that that, uh, it was ever God's intent for our prayer life to be like most Christians say that theirs is, and, and that is hit and miss at best. But instead, I believe that God has made a way, and the Bible certainly bears this out, for us to get an answer to our prayer every time. Now, it's important for us to realize that there are different kinds of prayer, not all prayer is prayed in the same manner or in the same, by the same rules. But if we know how to pray effectively and operate according to what the Bible tells us are the rules that govern the different types of prayer, we can get an answer every time. Because God's always faithful. God never misses it on His end. We've just got to learn to cooperate with what He's put it, set in motion. Amen? So we're talking about uh, the the one kind of prayer, specifically the kind of prayer that receives from God or the prayer that changes things. It's identified in Scripture as the prayer of faith. And in John chapter 15, verse 7, Jesus is talking to his disciples on the night that he's betrayed. And he says this. He said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. Now, whether you realize this or not, and I hope you do, Most people don't seem to, I don't think. But Jesus is putting the responsibility on answered prayer on you. He says, if you meet the qualifications, you'll get an answer. Well, whose responsibility is it to meet the qualifications? Ours or God's? It's ours. So he says, here's the qualifiers. He said, if you abide in me, he's talking about relationship and fellowship, walking in fellowship with the Lord. John said in writing to the church, First uh, John chapter 5, he said, If our heart condemn us not, then we have confidence toward God, and we know that he hears and answers our prayers. Well, that, that has to do with fellowship. It's hard for you to have confidence toward God, even toward his word, if you're not walking in fellowship with him. If you're living in sin, not dealing with it, and just trying to ignore it and act like it's not the case, you're never going to have confidence to receive from God. So there is a qualifier, two of them actually. The first one is relationship and fellowship with him. So he said, if you abide in me, number one, here's second, the second qualifier. He said, and if my words abide in you. Now, folks, you need to know something about answered prayer. You need to know something about receiving from God. It all hinges on you knowing what God has said in his word. In other words, let me say it this way. If you want to make sure to get an answer to your prayers every time, pray the Word of God. Too many Christians are just praying in hopes and wishes, and they don't know what God's Word says about the situation. And in many cases, people are praying contrary to what the Word has already said. In other cases, they're praying in hope that God will do something that He's already said in His Word that He will do or has done. But their lack of knowledge of that truth keeps them from having confidence to receive. So he said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will. And it shall be done unto you. You shall ask what you will. Now think about that for a minute. If you're walking in fellowship with God, if you're a child of God and walking in fellowship with him and his word is living on in you, you're not going to be asking for something that's contrary to his will, are you? You're going to know what his will is because you know the word. So he says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. Now notice verse 8. He said, herein, in this manner or in this way. In other words, by you getting answers to your prayers. Herein is my father glorified. Notice it doesn't say God's glorified when you're going through trouble. Doesn't say God's glorified when you're facing sickness and disease. In the middle of some big tribulation or some test or some trial. That's not what the Bible says glorifies God. 
Herein, in this way, you getting answers to your prayer is my Father glorified. That you bear much fruit. Now the fruit he's talking about here is prayer fruit. Answers to prayer. So shall you be my disciples. Notice he says this is what the church ought to be known for. Well, I wish the church had learned how to pray. Wouldn't it be great if the world saw that the church got answers to their prayers? That'd change the world. Now, in in talking about these things, and uh, I want to try to finish this up this morning. But I'm going to have to go over some of the ground that we've covered before so that we have some continuity to things that we say this morning. We've identified four steps, or really the Bible identifies four steps to answered prayer. Step number one is decide what you want from God. Notice Jesus said, you shall ask what you will. If you meet the qualifications, you shall ask what you will. It shall be done unto you. You're going to have the most success in prayer when you pray specifically. Decide what you want from God. Now, that's just part of the step. In addition to deciding what you want from God, you need to find scriptures that promise you those things. And then you need to get those scriptures down on the inside of you. Make them a part of your heart, not just a part of your mind. And be ready to use those scriptures against the devil when he comes, because he will. In other words, you need to make preparation to pray before you ever pray. And that preparation should be in the word. Prepare to pray. Prepare by putting the word on the inside of you. Now, how do you do that? Well, you meditate in the word. Joshua 1.8 says, this book of the law, the word of God, in other words, shall not depart out of your mouth. That means you have to keep saying it over and over again. But thou shalt meditate therein. So the Bible identifies meditating as speaking the word. Not some Eastern religion goofy stuff where you sit and empty your mind of everything and hum or chant or do whatever they do. Who knows? But meditating according to the Bible is speaking the word. The more you speak the word of God, the more it becomes a part of the inside of you, the real man on the inside, your spirit or your heart. So he said, this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. Now, the Bible says that day and night belongs to meditating in the Word. The rest of your time is yours. No, thank God we can meditate as we do other things. We can speak the Word to ourselves while we're carrying on our daily routines and doing other things that we need to do. So it should be a continuous, a continual thing. Thou shalt meditate therein day and night that thou mayest observe to do according to all that's written therein. Now, why do we want to do that? Well, the last part of the verse says, For then, after meditating in the word and doing the word, for then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Notice it doesn't even say God makes your way prosperous. Or God gives you good success. Now, of course, God's behind it because it's your word that brings the results. And he's the originator of the word. But it says you make your way prosperous by putting the word of God in practice. And you bring success into your life. Uh, the Amplified Bible, I think, is, is, says, shall deal wisely in the affairs of life. Well, you can well understand that you wouldn't have any good success in life unless you could deal wisely. But notice what brings about that result. You putting the word of God in practice. So that's how you make the word of God a part of your spirit. That's how you prepare to pray. That's how you prepare for what you want to ask God for. Now that brings us to step number two, and that is ask God for the things that you want. Now over in Mark chapter 11, verse 24, Jesus tells us the principles of this prayer of faith. And he said, Mark 11, 24, Therefore I say unto you, what things soever you desire. Notice it's talking about your desires things that you want therefore I say unto you what things soever you desire when you pray believe that you receive them and you shall have them now here's the qualifier for asking God and praying the prayer of faith step two is ask God for the things you want and believe that you receive them when you pray now prayer is supposed to be a communication between you and God that's all prayer means 
It means communication between you and, and your heavenly father. Now, if you're talking to somebody here on the earth and you ask him for something and you know them and you trust them and you know that they're working for your best interest, you would expect your request to be honored. You would expect whatever you ask him to do to be fulfilled. That's the way it works down here, right? But why should it work any different with our heavenly father? And that's really what Mark eleven twenty four is all about. It means believe God hears and answers your prayer when you pray. Now think about what that means. What things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them, the things that you desire, and you shall have them, meaning the things that you desire. When do you believe that you receive them? When you see them? When you feel like he heard you? When your circumstances change? No, faith is believing in what you can't see. Faith is believing God heard and answered your prayer before you do see the results or see a change. And that's what Mark eleven twenty four is talking about. When you pray, believe that you receive those things and you shall have those things. Now, step number two is really the easiest step there is. It's just simply asking God and believing that he heard you and answered your prayer. So when you say amen to your prayer, if you're praying for healing for your body, for example, Father, according to your word, Jesus took my infirmities and bore my sicknesses, and with his stripes I was healed. Therefore, I ask you for healing for my body. And I believe I receive healing now. In the name of Jesus, amen. Now that's when the prayer battle starts, when you say amen. Now, you're right there in Mark chapter 11. We looked at verse 24. Look at verse 23. Step number three is very simply this. Keep your heart from doubt. Jesus, in explaining how faith works, said in verse 23, Verily I say unto you, Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart. Notice that phrase. And shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe... That those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Now, the only qualifier that Jesus makes mention of in verse 23 is keeping your heart from doubt or not doubting in your heart. You need to understand that that is the devil's number one job when it comes to trying to hinder you from receiving everything God has provided for you through the work of Jesus. And that is to try to make you doubt from your heart. Now, what does it mean to doubt in your heart? Well, believing in your heart is saying whatever God's word says about a situation. So doubting in your heart is saying anything that contradicts God's word. So if speaking the word of God is speaking in faith, speaking according to the circumstances, what you see and how you feel is speaking doubt. So the devil is going to work overtime. To try to make you doubt from your heart. Specifically to try to make you say something contrary to the scriptures upon which you base your prayer. Now one of the, uh, the key elements here. One of the single most important things. That it seems to me is overlooked a lot by the church world. And that is the impact that your thought life has on your prayer life. We looked at Second Corinthians chapter 10. You might want to look over there again. What you think has everything to do with what you receive from God. Second Corinthians chapter 10, beginning in verse 3, Paul said, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal or natural, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Now, what are the strongholds he's talking about? He's talking about the enemy's fortifications. He's talking about the fortifications that the enemy has set up against you to try to rob you of what Jesus has already purchased for you. To try to rob you of what God has provided for you through the sacrifice of Jesus. Now, a lot of times, people think spiritual warfare is about praying. And they're 
there's a lot of teaching out there that'll teach you that you have to pray and intercede, and most of it is in tongues, and and you have to really get after the devil. And boy, I mean, it's just hot and heavy. But I want you to notice that Paul is talking about the devil's strongholds in relation to spiritual warfare. How do you pull down the devil's strongholds? How do you break through the fortifications of the of the devil? How do you break through those barriers that he set up in an attempt to keep you out of the things that God has provided for you? Notice verse 5. Casting down imaginations. Casting down imaginations. Folks, I want you to understand the biggest fight you're going to have with the devil is in your mind. You don't see Jesus going into a new town and stop and have a big prayer meeting so that he breaks the power of the devil over that city. It's not the way he operated. Well, why should we operate like that now? Well, there's no scriptural evidence that we should. Here's how you defeat the strongholds of the devil. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into every captivity... Into bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. In other words, he's saying to destroy every thought, every image, every perception, every feeling, everything that contradicts God's word on the subject. Now, you need to understand, folks, that words are containers. God has created man in such a way that words create pictures on the inside of us. If I say the word dog, you don't think of the word D-O-G. You think of whatever that little much you've got at home looks like or whatever you associate with dog. If I say the word house, more than likely you have a picture on the inside of you of your own house, the place that you live. Words are containers. They carry pictures. Well, the things that you think create the pictures that you see on the inside of you and you speak in line with what you see so the devil knows what a lot of christians don't know and that is he can affect your words by affecting your thoughts so let every thought affirm that you have what you ask for destroy every thought every perception every image Every dream, everything that exalts itself or contradicts the word of God. Now, Brother Hagin told a story about this that it's kind of an extreme case, but it really makes the point. He was preaching in a certain place for a uh, pastor that when he got there, the pastor said, uh, Brother Hagin, I'd like you to go with me to visit my brother. Now, his brother, the pastor's brother, was also a minister. And he had uh, been diagnosed with some kind of disease that was going to take his life in a short period of time. He said, I want you to go with me and help me minister to my brother. He said, well, all right, I'll do that. So they went to visit his brother, the pastor's brother. And uh, they walked into the room and Brother Hagin was talking to him. They had met before, so they renewed acquaintance for a little bit. And uh, after talking for a, a bit, he said, well, your brother wanted me to come and minister healing to you and just encourage you in the things of the Lord and the, the pastor's brother the sick man said well okay brother Hagen, I appreciate you coming and then the pastor spoke up and said now tell him what you told me tell him about the vision you had and so the pastor's brother said well okay it was about 10 days ago he said I'm laying here in the room by myself It's nighttime. He said, I'm just worshiping the Lord quietly to myself. He said, all of a sudden, there was a bright light in this room that filled the whole room. And he said, I saw an image. Couldn't make it out because the light was so bright. But he said, I saw an image of a man. He said, I believe it was Jesus. And the voice that came from that man said, it's not my will to heal you. And then he disappeared. Well, Brother Hagin and the pastor both started talking to him. 
You can imagine what the pastor had already told his brother. That can't be Jesus. Because the word of God says that Jesus took your infirmities and bore your sicknesses and with his stripes you were healed. It says he bore our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. That includes everybody. But the guy had such an impression and was so affected by the supernatural manner in which this vision occurred, this bright light shined in his room, that he wouldn't accept that the word of God was true in his case. That's why we say destroy every image, every dream, every vision, every impression that contradicts the word. Now, the end of the story was this. They continued to talk to him for a little bit. And he loved God. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with the guy. He's just got a wrong idea about Jesus' will concerning his healing. So they began to worship God for a few minutes. Brother Hagin said, the glory of God filled the room. He said, Jesus appeared at the the foot of the bed. Brother Hagin said, I saw him. He said, just about the time that the Lord appeared, he said, this guy, the sick man, got up out of bed. He's got his eyes closed worshiping the Lord. But he got up out of bed, went to where Jesus was standing at the foot of the bed and fell down on his face. Eyes closed all the time. Brother Hagin spoke to the man and he said, Jesus is here to heal you. And the sick man, who's now on the floor at the foot of the bed, said, Yeah, he's standing right here at the foot of the bed, isn't he? Brother Hagin saw him. The other man just had a perception, a spiritual perception that he was there. He said, Yeah, he's there to heal you. And the sick fellow, said, oh, I just can't receive. I just can't receive. Brother Hagin said, the Lord looked at him and said, see, I've come to heal him and he won't let me. And then he disappeared. And within a couple of weeks, the guy was dead because he let the wrong impression create a stronghold in his life that robbed him of what Jesus had already paid for on the cross. Folks, what you think has everything to do with what you receive. Everything. Now, I want you to turn back with me again to Numbers chapter 13. We looked at this for a bit last week. But I want to finish the story and kind of clean some things up that I didn't say. Numbers chapter 13 is a beautiful picture. Great example. Of faith versus unbelief. We're talking about keeping your heart from doubt. Never permit a mental picture of failure to be in your mind concerning that which you prayed for. If doubts persist, and they will, rebuke them. Brother Hagin used to say, eradicate every thought, every image, every dream, every impression that does not contribute to your faith. In fact, extirpate. Every image, everything that does not affirm that you have what you ask for. That means refuse to receive them and replace them. Now, in Numbers chapter 13, it tells us a story about the 12 spies going into the promised land. You remember how God has brought them out of Egypt with a mighty hand. They get to the edge of the promised land and Moses sends in one person from each of the 12 tribes of Israel. And they spend 40 days searching out the land. Now remember what God has said. God had told them that the promised land was a land that flows with milk and honey. He had also told them that the Amorites were there and the Hittites were there and the Canaanites were there. He told them who was in the land and who possessed the land that they were going to, to take. That part shouldn't have been a surprise to anybody. So the 12 spies go into the land, spend 40 days there, and they bring back the fruit of the land. They've got a cluster of grapes that must have been so big that, well, they, that they put it on two, uh, a pole that, that two people carried it. I guess they did that for the size. They'd never seen anything like this. So they showed the fruit of the land to the people, and they said, it's a land flowing with milk and honey, just like God said. 
We'll start reading here in verse, uh, well, let's read verse 27. Numbers chapter 13. And they told him and said, We came into the land whither thou sentest us, and surely it flows with milk and honey, and this is the fruit of it. Nevertheless, the people be strong that dwell in the land, and the cities are walled and very great. And moreover, we saw the children of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites dwell in the mountains. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and by the coast of Jordan. And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and possess it, for we are well able to overcome it. But the men that went up with him, the ten spies, Caleb and Joshua are the only two that are standing in faith. The men that went up with him said, We we be not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they brought up an evil report of the land which they had searched unto the children of Israel, saying, The land through which we have gone to search it is a land that eateth up the inhabitants thereof. And all the people that we saw in it are men of great stature. And there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which were come of the giants. And we were, notice this phrase, and we were in our own sight as grasshoppers. And so we were in their sight. Now, folks, I want you to realize something. Twelve men go in and see exactly the same thing. Ten of them come back with a different picture than the other two. Now, what caused the different pictures that they had? We know the ten spies came back with an evil report of unbelief. What caused the difference in what they saw? Well, this is the way the devil works. The devil takes circumstances and he speaks to your mind about circumstances. And he tells you that these circumstances mean that you're going to be defeated or you're going to fail. He intends... To create a picture of failure. And he was successful with 10 of these guys. He created in them a picture of failure. From what he spoke to their minds about the circumstances that he saw. Now what about the other two? The other two saw exactly the same things. But they refused to receive the thoughts. Or the words that came to their mind from the devil. About the circumstances. They stood firm in their belief that the circumstances didn't change what God said. Now, the same word has come to all 12 of these guys. I'm leading you to a land flowing with milk and honey, God said, and you'll take possession of the land. The land is yours. Ten of them say, well, the land can't be ours because of the people that dwell in the cities. And boy, the cities have walls around them. And they look so strong to us that we look to ourselves like grasshoppers. Well, Caleb and Joshua see exactly the same thing. But they say that doesn't change what God said. Pharaoh and his armies were stronger than us too. But look what God did to them. Now, folks, again, let me make the point. What you see on the inside of you is everything. Because you will speak in line with what you see inside. Now, we need to consider this. Did the two guys that operated in faith, Caleb and Joshua, were they just so strong in faith that the devil didn't speak thoughts of doubt to them? No, that's not the way it works. The devil attacks everybody the same way. The strongest Christian, the strongest believer that you can imagine that ever lived face the same thoughts, the same wrong thoughts that come to their mind as come to yours and mine. The Bible says that Jesus was tempted in every point like as we are. You know what that means? That means he had to deal with wrong thoughts just like you and I do. That means he was tempted to think contrary to the word of God just like us. He was facing the same choice that you and I face. He faced the same choice that these 12 spies face. And that is, what are you going to believe? Are you going to believe what God said? Are you going to believe that the circumstances are bigger than God? That's really what it comes down to. Now, the congregation is to make a choice. All the children of Israel are hearing two different reports. 
They're hearing a uh, report of doubt, an evil report of doubt that says we can't do it. Isn't that what the devil tells you all the time? You can't do it. You can't have it. You can't receive it. But on the other hand, they heard somebody that was agreeing with the word and say, God's on our side. We can do this. Now, notice that Caleb and Joshua didn't stand up and say, here's how we can do this. They just said, God's with us. We can do it. Chapter 14 tells us what the congregation of Israel did. Verse 1, and all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron, and the whole congregation said unto them, Would God that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would God we had died in this wilderness? And wherefore has the Lord brought us into this land to fall by the sword, that our wives and children should be a prey? Were it not better for us to return to Egypt? And they said one to another, Let us make a captain and let us return to Egypt. Folks, I want you to understand something. People that refuse to walk by faith want a leader to help them walk away from God. People that have made the determination that God's word is not true, that healing is not for us, that God doesn't want you to win in every situation, that the devil's one that makes people sick and brings trouble into their lives and not God, those people will elect a pastor, uh, excuse me, a captain. That will tell them what they want to hear. And lead them in the way they want to go. It's just the way it works. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before the assembly of the congregation and the children of Israel. And Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh. Which were of them that searched the land rent their clothes. And they spake unto all the company of the children of Israel saying. The land which we pass through to search it is an exceeding good land. If the Lord delight in us, then he will bring us into this land. And he will give it to us. A land that flows with milk and honey. Only rebel ye not against the Lord. Neither fear ye the people of the land. For they are bred for us. Their defense is departed from them. And the Lord is with us. Fear them not. Now what in the world would cause Joshua and Caleb to say that when the other ten are saying... That the people are great and the sons of giants are over there and the Amalekites and the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Hittites and all the other rites dwell in the mountains and the coasts and all of the other places in the land. What would cause them to have such a different report? They saw exactly the same thing. They saw exactly the same circumstances. They heard exactly the same thoughts from the devil speaking to their mind. What caused them to say what they said? It was simply a choice. Folks, you can choose to think whatever you want to think. You can think thoughts of faith just as easy as you can think thoughts of doubt and unbelief. You can control your thoughts. You may choose not to. A lot of people do. But you can control them. It's just as easy to think thoughts of, doubt, thoughts of faith as it is to think thoughts of doubt. It's just as easy to speak words of faith as it is words of fear and unbelief. You can think and you can speak anything that you want to. So now they've heard another report. The children of Israel can turn on a dime here and still save the day. But notice what they do. Verse 10, but all the congregation bade stone them with stones. People that walk by what they see and feel in this natural realm, they don't want anybody around that walks by faith. Got to get rid of those faith people. Because they're speaking what God said. Can't have that. But all the congregation bade stone them with stones. And the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of the congregation before all the children of Israel. Now folks, I want you to understand something. Well, I'll tell you what. Skip with me over to verse 28. Chapter 14, verse 28. Here's God's response. God says, say unto them, tells Moses to say unto them, as truly as I live, saith the Lord, as you have spoken in my ears, so will I do unto you. Now, let me take this verse of scripture apart for for you for a little bit. We see the phrase as truly as I live, and we think that's just God saying, 
hey, this is really the truth I'm telling you. But think about what that means. How does God live for eternity? So when he says, as truly as I live, another translation says it this way, it is the oracle of God. What that means is it's an eternal, unchanging principle that God is pronouncing upon the children of Israel. Now, he's not just establishing it at this point. He established this when he created Adam and Eve and put them in the Garden of Eden. But he's telling the people of Israel how it works. He's saying, as truly as I live, this is an unchanging, eternal principle. As you have spoken in my ears, so will I do unto you. Folks, I want you to understand something. Everybody in this story gets exactly what they said. The ones that said it would be better to die in the wilderness, die in the wilderness. Caleb and Joshua who said we can do it, possess the promised land. It cost them 40 years. The unbelief of the people cost them 40 years to do it. But 40 years later, they take possession of the land that the others said they couldn't take. Everybody in this story got exactly what they said. Now, the devil understands this unchanging eternal principle. That's why he brings thoughts of doubt to you, thoughts of fear, thoughts of failure, and so forth. Because he's trying to create the picture of fear and failure on the inside of you so that you speak words of fear and doubt and failure. Why? Because you have what you say. If the devil can't control your tongue, he can't control what you receive. That's why Jesus said in Mark chapter 11, verse 23, Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Now how is it that we have the right to believe that whatever we say will come to pass? Well, God just told us here's an eternal unchanging principle. He deals with us according to the words that we speak. He doesn't deal with us according to our feelings. He doesn't deal with us according to the warm, fuzzy feelings we have of love toward him. He deals with us according to our words. He doesn't deal with us according to our thoughts. He deals with us according to our words. Now, you need to know this, folks. You can't stop the wrong thoughts from coming to your mind. But you can stop which ones you entertain. You decide that. You can't stop somebody from knocking on your front door. But you can certainly decide who comes into the living room. The postman can bring a package to your door. It may or may not be something you've ordered. You decide whether you sign for it. That's the way it works with thoughts. Thoughts unspoken and that are not acted on die unborn. That's why the devil works overtime to bring the wrong thoughts to your mind. He's trying to bombard you with the wrong pictures, pictures of failure and pictures of defeat to wear you down so that you'll finally speak in line with the thoughts that he's speaking to your mind, the pictures that he's trying to paint. That's why we say destroy every thought, every image, every impression that does not contribute to your faith. See yourself with the answer and make plans accordingly. Now, what is, how are we going to do that? When the devil is bombarding our minds, when the devil is bringing his attack, and, and boy, I mean, he comes at us really strong. I mean, he speaks thoughts, wrong thoughts as fast as machine gun bullets can fly. How do we overcome that? Well, the way you replace wrong thoughts, the way you resist wrong thoughts, is that you meditate constantly on the scriptures that you based your prayer on. Now think about what that means. If healing was what you were asking for, or finances, or whatever the case is, if you're meditating, which means to speak God's word, those scriptures that you based your prayer on, Jesus took my infirmities and bore my sicknesses, and with his stripes I'm healed. For my God shall supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory, whatever the case is. If you're speaking those things to yourself continually, you're bound to see yourself with what the Bible says is yours. 
That's what Proverbs 4 means when it says, let not the word depart from before your eyes. See yourself with the answer. See yourself with the answer. Now, folks, that's the point where you can really tell when the word of God has made an impact on your spirit and not just your mind. When you start seeing yourself victorious. So see yourself with the answer and make plans accordingly as if you've already received the answer. Now, that brings us, now that we're almost out of time, to step number four where we can go a little bit further. Step number four is simply this. Praise God for your answer. In Romans chapter 4, it tells us the story of Abraham. Abraham is known as the father of faith. You remember the story of Abraham, how that when he was about 100 years old, God had promised him a son. Sarah was 90 years old. Their body is not functioning in a reproductive manner any, any longer. So it was an impossible situation. God changes Abraham's name, changes his name from Abram to Abraham, which means father of nations. He gets Abraham to start saying of himself that he has children. That's what the change of his name meant. That's what it was for. So he begins to call himself by the new name. Now here's a childless man. He didn't have any children with Sarah at least. Calling himself the father of nations. Now the Bible says about Abraham. That he was an imitator of God. He imitated God in this manner. He called things that were not. As though they were. He's calling himself the father of nations. Even though he doesn't have any children. Now in Romans chapter 4 verse 20. It tells us about this man that received. The ultimate miracle that was the father of our faith. That's the example for our faith to follow. And it says in Romans chapter 4 and verse 20. That he staggered not at the promise of God. Another translation says it this way. Looking under the promise of God he staggered not through unbelief. I like that. Looking under the promise of God he staggered not through unbelief. But was strong in faith. Giving glory to God. In other words, the father of faith, measure of faith, was dictated by his praising God for the answer. That's why we say step four is praise God for the answer. Praise God for the answer you can't yet see. Now, this is a principle that's all throughout the Bible. Second Chronicles chapter 20 tells us about when Jehoshaphat was king of Israel or king of Judah. And there were five enemy kings that came out against him. He knew that he didn't have the military strength to overcome them in a battle. So he set himself to seek the Lord and proclaim to fast throughout all of Israel. During this time of fasting and praying, the Lord spoke to one of the prophets and said, The battle's not yours but mine. I'll defeat these people tomorrow. Go out against them. Here's where you'll find them. And so forth. Now it tells us that everybody got really excited about that. You could well understand that. I mean, it's good news when you hear that God's going to fight your battles for you. Not so good news when He tells you you still have to go face them. But everybody's excited, but then the next morning comes around. I'm sure not everybody's excited as they were the day before. What are they going to do then? And it says, beginning in verse 20, 2 Chronicles 20, verse 20, And they rose early in the morning and went forth into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went forth, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, so shall you be established. Believe his prophets, so shall you prosper. Now how can they exhibit their belief or their faith in what the prophet had said by the word of the Lord the day before about victory in the battle? Thank God Jehoshaphat knew what to do. When he had consulted with the people, he appointed singers unto the Lord. That they should praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before. That means in front of the army. Folks, if you were part of the choir back then, it meant something. The people with the weapons are behind you, not in front of you. 
So he appointed singers unto the Lord and that should praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army and to say, praise the Lord for his mercy endureth forever. Now, verse 22 is the point that I want to make. And when, everybody say when. And when they began to sing into praise. And when they began to sing into praise, the Lord set ambushments against the children of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, which were come against Judah, and they were smitten. They all start fighting against each other. By the time the people get to where the camp is, the enemy camp is, it takes them three days to carry away all the stuff that's left. But notice when the battle was won in the natural realm, when they began to sing into praise, when they began to sing into praise, Turn with me over to Acts chapter 16. Let's look at a New Testament example of this very same thing. Acts chapter 16 tells us about Paul's ministry. They come to the city of Philippi. And in the city there's a little girl, slave girl, that has a spirit of divination, the Bible says. She's kind of like a fortune teller, I guess. And she started saying, when they would walk by, these men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. Now, this happened day after day after day. We don't know how long. But it says, the Bible calls it many days. So that's more than a few. So it says, one day, this has happened. Paul was grieved in his spirit, verse 18. And he turned and said to the spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out the same hour. So I guess that means the Holy Ghost prompted him to do something about it on that particular occasion, that particular day. And when her master saw that the hope of their gains was gone, she made money for the people that, that owned her as a little slave girl. They caught Paul and Silas and drew them into the marketplace under the rulers and brought them to the magistrates saying, These men being Jews do exceedingly trouble our city and teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe being Romans. And the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates rent off their clothes and commanded to beat them. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely. Now here's the reward they get for preaching the gospel and setting the little girl free from the power of the devil. So they charged the jailer to keep them safely after they beat them, who, having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. Now, folks, what would you do in that situation? I mean, that would be a perfect time for a pity party, wouldn't it? Lord, this isn't right. It's not fair. Here I am serving you. We came to a city supernaturally. We can't, the only reason we came here is because you showed us a vision in the night to come to this place. Surely that should have meant that the city would receive us. I mean, if God gives you a vision, it's clear sailing ahead, isn't it? Silas is probably sitting over there, back bleeding, in pain, saying, Paul, are you sure you had a vision about this? Perfect time to feel sorry for yourself. But notice what they did. They knew what the answer was. It says, verse 25, and at midnight, I believe that was literally midnight, but it could be the midnight, represent the midnight of your situation too, the darkest hour. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God and the prisoners heard them. Now, what do you think they're praying about? What would you be praying about? There's only one thing that'd be on my mind, and that is, Lord, get me out of here. Notice they prayed and sang praises unto God and the prisoners heard them. They weren't quiet about it. They sang praises for everybody to hear. You know what I've found to be the case in, in my experience? All the people that talk about that God's the one that brings trouble on you and sickness and disease and breaks your leg and steals your kids and all this kind of stuff. To teach you or to prove you, or to perfect you. I've noticed that in the middle of their trouble, 
They're not thanking God for anything. Now they'll tell you that that's what you should do in the middle of your trouble. But in every situation I've ever encountered, the people that think that when they're in the middle of their trouble, they're whining like two-year-olds. No, God, do something about this. But if the Bible is true, and the thief, the devil, is the one that comes to kill, to steal, and to destroy, he's the one that brings sickness and trouble and affliction upon us. And the Bible is true. It says that God has made a way for us to into victory no matter what the situation is in the name of Jesus. Then wouldn't we, accepting that truth, act just the same way that Paul and Silas did in prison? They understood that this was trouble that the devil was trying to stop them in ministry. So what did they do? At midnight, they prayed and sang praises unto God and the prisoners heard them. Now what was the result of that? Suddenly there was a great earthquake. So that every prison door opened, everybody's chains fell off their hands, the stocks fell off their feet, everybody in the whole prison, not just Paul and Silas, but everybody in the whole prison now is loosed and free and nobody moves. Now, I don't know what other prisoners were in the prison. I would imagine there's some guys down there that have done some pretty nasty things. But notice that there's no rush for the door. There's no big jailbreak because of this earthquake. Everybody is frozen in position, waiting to see what these two guys are going to do next. In other words, whatever their prayer was and whatever praises they sang, where everybody heard, was sufficient to convince them, the prisoners, that Paul and Silas brought the power of God on the scene for deliverance. Now, when Paul writes to the Philippians in Philippians chapter 4, notice verse 6. This was the city of Philippi that this occurred in. So when Paul, many years later, writes back a letter to the city, He gives them the same instruction about what to do in the middle of their trouble that he did in the middle of his trouble. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. It says, be careful for nothing. Another translation says, be anxious about nothing. Don't worry, don't fret about anything. Be careful for nothing. But in everything, in every situation. He doesn't say for everything. But it says in everything, in every situation you find yourself in. By prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. In other words, he's saying, here's how to pray when you're in the middle of your situation, whatever it is, good, bad, or whatever. Ask God, pray, make supplication. In other words, you may have to hold fast to your prayer. But then notice he said, with thanksgiving. Now, there's got to be a reason that the Holy Ghost would prompt Paul to attach thanksgiving to prayer. What do you think that reason is? Well, the Bible example is that praise shows that you believe that you received what you asked for. It's the proof that you believe God heard and answered your prayer. Abraham was strong in faith, giving glory to God. So in your waking moments... Think on the goodness and the greatness of God. Count your blessings and faith will increase. Remember the things that God has done for you in the past. Look at God's ability and not your lack of ability. Maintain constantly that all things are possible to him that believes. Maintain constantly that all things are possible to him that believes. Now here's the final point, final part of step number four. And that is this. Make every prayer relative to what you've asked a statement of faith instead of unbelief. What are you going to do during the period of time that you're standing in faith believing that you received what you asked for? Are you going to ask God for it again? Smith Wigglesworth said this. He said, if you prayed seven times about any one thing, 
You prayed six times in unbelief. See, to ask God again for what you believe you received by faith is to say that God didn't hear you the first time, so now you're hoping that he hears you this time. So instead of praying about things the same way that you did when you started, thank him. Remind him in prayer, but thank him for what you believe you received. That's why we say make every statement a statement of faith rather than unbelief. Every prayer relative to what you prayed, a statement of faith rather than unbelief. Folks, you need to understand that if you pray about something again after you said you believed you received, you take it out of the hands of God. You just stepped over from faith into unbelief. And God can't answer a prayer of unbelief. So these four steps will bring you an answer to prayer every time. Decide what you want from God. Find the scriptures that promise you those things and make them a part of your heart. Step number two, ask God for what you want and believe that you receive them when you pray. Step number three, keep your heart from doubt. Don't let the wrong thoughts influence what you see on the inside and what you say with your mouth. Finally, step four, praise God for the answer. Praise God for the answer. Thanksgiving should be at least 25% of your prayer life. At least. How many of you have ever found God to let you down? No. It's impossible. He can never fail. When we operate according to what the Bible says, we'll succeed every time. The Bible says the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. The word effectual means effective. If you pray effectively, you'll get, a prayer, you'll get an answer to your prayer every time. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the privilege that we have to stand upon your word, to seek you for the things that we need and desire, and to know that you hear and answer our prayer. John wrote to the church, Lord, and said by the Holy Ghost that if we ask anything according to your will, then we know you hear us. Well, if we ask according to your word, we're asking according to your will. He furthermore said, and if we know that you hear us, then we have what we've asked for. So we thank you, Father, that every prayer that we pray according to your word is heard and answered in the name of Jesus. Forgive us for where we've wavered in the past, Lord, but we commit unto you that we'll never waver again. We'll never allow the devil's thoughts to create the wrong pictures on the inside of us. And to influence us to speak against your word. Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. We settle it with us. We establish it and settle it once and for all. We believe your word is true. Therefore, we say, even as the Apostle Paul said, we believe it shall be even as it was told us. Lord, we thank you for all that Jesus purchased for us. We thank you for the healing that came through the stripes of Jesus. We thank you for the suffering that Jesus took upon himself as the chastisement of our peace. We thank you that victory is ours in every area of life. We thank you that your word covers everything that we'll ever need. In Jesus' precious name. We believe your word, Lord. We believe. We believe. Say it with me. I believe God's word. Hallelujah. Well, why don't we all stand together? Let's lift our hands. How many of you, let me ask this first. How many of you are believing God for something right now? All right, then let's do this. Let's lift our hands and thank him for the answer. Thank you, Lord. We worship you. We thank you that your word is true. We thank you, Lord, for healing our bodies, for meeting our needs, for working on behalf 
of each and every person in this place, each and every person under the sound of my voice. Thank you, Lord, that your word is true. Thank you. Jesus, you said that if we abide in you and your word abides in us, we'll ask what we will and it shall be done unto us. Therefore, we count it done. In the name of Jesus, we count it done. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, that you're on our side and you're working on our behalf because our answered prayer glorifies you. Blessed be the name of Jesus. Blessed be the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. All right, now say this after me. I believe it shall be, even as it was told me, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, God bless you. Thank you for being with us. Have a great day. Don't forget the healing school is tonight at 6. And you're dismissed.